Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Righto team, you are listening to episode 162 of the Howie Games Part A. That's how we normally start the show. That's the normal line. But what is not normal, after six years of the show and all your support in growing the pod, telling your crew, spreading the word and helping us get bigger and better, here today is a big thanks from us to you in the form of a special episode, The Biggest Guest both literally and figuratively, we have had the privilege to feature on the show a man with many names, I tell you, the big Shamrock, Diesel, Dr Shaq, the big Aristotle, Shaq Daddy, Shackadile Dundee, as I heard him introduced, Shackadile Dundee. The Howie Games presents, for your listening pleasure, Mr Shaquille O'Neal. And he hangs, no, Shaq follows! Oh, yes! My goodness! Fake steps through. Shaq follows. Hey, oh, stops I, oh, 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 my I, goodness. Oh. Shaq. Now, Shaq was recently in Australia for a whirlwind trip, I'm sure you were aware, because he was everywhere. I was lucky enough to be asked to conduct a few Q&As with him. In fact, four interviews in 48 hours. 48 hours I will not forget in a hurry. So I want to try and give you a bit of background, a bit of flavour, a bit of an idea of what it was like behind the scenes on the Shaq tour. It is like nothing I've ever seen before. In fact, I was trying to figure out who was the highest profile person I had dealt with and the level of showtime they bring to their whole operation. Probably I came up with Lewis Hamilton because he's a massive name and transcends his sport and he has a tremendous effect on people. Or Shaq was five times that. In fact, Shaq was 10 times that. I've never seen grown men line up to get a photograph or an autograph or a chat and be physically shaking in a line to meet someone because of the expectation or the nerves or they just look up to him so much. I don't know what the Beatles were like, but this is sort of the feel I had. The first time I got an idea of it, I had to interview him for the first time in Melbourne at the Australian Basketball Players Association Awards dinner. It was a Thursday afternoon gig. I park across the road, $6 parking at Olympic Park, walk across, and Shaq's arriving. And it's three black bands, like the A-team's arriving, for those old enough to remember the A-team, Faceman, Murdoch, etc. And there's bollards there preventing the cars. But prior to that, there's a guy on the radio, literally as I'm walking past saying, Shaq's arriving, Shaq ETA two minutes, Shaq ETA one minute. I'm not making this up now. And there's a gentleman arrives with a key to remove the bollard so he can drive straight to the front door. And at this stage, 20 big dudes, not all big dudes, but mainly big dudes pile out. Shaq's entourage. Had a big entourage with him. Managers, long-term friends, relatives, other managers, PR people, security people. The security dudes were massive. Black glasses, didn't take their glasses off at night. Anytime, Richie Richardson style, big men. I go inside and I'm ushered into the side room to meet Shaq for the first time. Now, the first thing that hits you when you meet Mr. O'Neill, and it seems so obvious, but he is enormous. Uh, Bigger than Luke Longley, enormous. I am saying enormous. Biggest man I've ever met, seen by a long stretch. 216 centimetres tall, so that's seven foot and a bit, played at 150 kilos, still in good nick, the big fella, but he'd have to be, he'd have to be 170 kegs, like big unit. And then he shakes your hand and his fingers go 
three quarters of the way up your forearm. Now, I'm not the biggest dude, I admit that, but he is a man mountain. I introduced myself to his entourage as Howie to make it easier, short, sharp, and they didn't quite cop that. So the first bloke thought I said Howard. So for the next 48 hours, everybody in Shaq's entourage was calling me Howard, which was um, slightly disconcerting, (laughs) but I wasn't going to correct anyone at that stage. Big entourage before the big show that you're about to hear a lot of in Melbourne. It was pay-per-view, so it was on the main event channel, and then there was a crowd of X number of thousand in the house at Margaret Court Arena. We did a similar one in Sydney, which had thousands of people at the casino. They were packed in literally everywhere, not a spare seat in the house. But the Melbourne event, we had to be on time for the pay-per-view event. 7.30, bang, we had to start. If we weren't ready to roll at 7.30, I would be standing out the front in front of the cameras, twiddling my thumbs, telling my best jokes, which aren't very good. The old bear walked into a bar, looked at the barman, said, I'll have a scotch and Coke, please. And the barman says, why the big pause? said, I don't know, holding up his paws. I was born with him. So that that's all I had if Shaq wasn't ready to go. So at 26 minutes past seven, we hadn't seen him. He was in the building, but we hadn't seen him. So I went up to the green room where he's nicely ensconced with his full entourage. I can hear rap music blaring outside and security says, no, you can't go in. I said, I probably need to go in to tell the big man we're ready to go. For. No, you can't go in. He is preparing for the show. I, okay. Two minutes later, Nick Good man, producer, is in my ear going bananas. Mate, is he ready to go? Is he ready to go? Is he ready? I said, I don't know. I'll go and knock on the door again. They finally let me in. There's Shaq in the corner. A minute and a half to go before the show. I said, Shaq, we're ready to go in a minute and a half. He said, oh, okay, okay. Puts a microphone on, looks at me, says, I got you, baby. I'll never forget it. I got you, baby. I scoot down, run out on stage. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, Shaquille O'Neal, throw to a video package, looking on stage. He's not there, he's not there. And there, halfway through the video package, there's the big man behind the curtains giving me a big thumbs up saying, I've got you, baby, I've got you, baby. Then on he rolls and dominated. He was stunning in the vibrancy he brought to the whole interview the engagement levels, the way he got the crowd up, just the showtime package. Next day, we had to do the same thing in Sydney. He flew with his entourage up to Sydney on Shack Air, private plane. I went in Qantas economy and we did the whole thing again. So what you are about to hear is Shaq from the major interview in Melbourne. This comes to you courtesy of Foxtel and their main event channel, who, as I said, broadcast the evening. Foxtel have all the good gear on the box. Don't worry about that. Fox Sports and KO have all the sports you can imagine. It's what we roll with at my place. Greg O'Neill, the president of the Australian Basketball Players Association and the Our Group combined together to bring Shaq out and do a wonderful job getting the big man to Australia and getting him to as many events as possible and meeting as many people as possible. Well done to them. Alrighty. That's the background. Here's the interview. Let's get to it. Enjoy the phenomenon, the showstopper, that is Shaquille O'Neal. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I Come on, children, try it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up as only Melbourne can. A massive welcome for the star that is Shaquille O'Neal. We love you, Shaq, indeed, are the cries from the audience. Love you too, mate. Welcome. 
Great to see you. What is it like walking into a room full of Australians? You're from the other side of the world and they're cheering you name. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honoured. I haven't been here since 1993, and even in 1993, Australian people have been nothing but nice to me, so I love this country. I love the athletes, uh, you know, the football league. You have, to, you have to be a real man to play that league. I, I say yesterday is probably the toughest, second toughest thing to do athletic-wise, UFC being number one, but to play rugby like these guys play, I give them a hand clap for that. I think we could see this man at the MCG in front of 100,000 people playing AFL football. You've got the statue, you've got the physique. How do you think you'd go? I wouldn't play that sport. Right. <laughs> I'm tough, but I'm not that tough. Yeah. Only way I would play the sport if Charles Barkley was on the other team. Right. <laughs> we could organise that for you. Yes, yes. And how are you finding your time in Australia? You've been here nearly 48 hours now. It's been a really, really busy schedule. How's it been for you? I've been here a couple of days, you know, been to the restaurants, been to a couple of shopping centres, signed some pictures, went to a cult culture club today. Yep. Yeah, it was only expected to be about 1,000 people. I think about 10,000 people showed up. And you were on the decks last night? I the decks? The decks. <laughs> the decks. With an E? Sorry, that's, Sorry. that's my accent. I don't know what you get up to after hours, but the decks. With an E. No, decks. Yes. How was it? Where were you playing and what were you rolling out? I don't know the name of the club, but the kids there, they had a good time. And it, you know, it reminds me of, of a game, you know, the, actually, you know, it reminds me of something like this, just coming into an arena, just seeing people cheer and have a good time. It gives me the same adrenaline boost that a game would give me. Before we get going, you may notice, especially in the front row, if Shaq could hold up his left hand, that is a magnificent ring on that hand. Exactly. That is a champion's ring, but it was a gift for you. Yeah, this is the one that LeBron won a couple years ago. I, uh... Um, I was programmed by my father every time I win to give it to him because he didn't want me to be complacent. So all my rings are resting in peace with my father. So that is the ring from one of, Sha uh, yes. from one of LeBron's titles? Yes. The love for you is extraordinary. What is it like to come from the other side of the world to be greeted by people you don't know that are cheering your name and generally feeling a lot of love for you? It's very humbling. Uh, you know, I, I listened to that song in high school, so when I came here in 93, the Australian people have been very hospitable. I love Australia, they love coming here. I'm kind of upset it took me a decade to come back, but you know, I went to Melbourne yesterday and I'm in here in Sydney now, the Australian people are great. And I saw a guy that, that killed us in the Olympics, Shane Hill. Shane, are you here? Where Where's is, Shane? Where is come Shane? Come on out, Shane. Where yeah, is Shane? Shane? Yeah, uh, I... Shane Hill, Shane Hill killed us in the Olympics. So I, I will always remember Australia because you know, we kind of took you guys lightly and he just came out of nowhere and then I had to turn it up. Come down here, Shane. Make Come your on, way Shane. down here. Where is Shane? I just saw him in the Exit. Back. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. The hammer. <laughs> yeah. Shane, we're looking at some vision here of the 96 semi-final. Um, we don't have many clips of you, to be fair. Um, well, what, are you, what are your memories? What are your memories of taking on the Yanks? Mate, eight three-pointers. What do you mean there's no... There's eight threes against the big dogs, so there should be plenty of highlights. Heel for another three, and he oh, hits. Boy. And Shane Heel hits another three, and this time he had a defender in his face. He's six for ten from downtown. And guess who? Shane Heel with another. Now it was a huge honour for us as young Aussies going and playing against the Dream Team and guys like Shaq and Charles Barkley and, you know, these guys that are just superstars and... 
some of the greatest that's ever played. So it was an honour for us and, yeah, good, good, great memories. And I was happy to be backstage <laughs> drinking a couple of Coronas, to be honest. Jack, uh, what's uh, your memories of Hammer? Well, when we looked at the scouting report, his name never came up. But when he came out <laughs> and shot all the threes, he called the timeout. I was like, who the f is that? <laughs> I said, let's... And so, so, like, he just kept coming to the lane, floaters and jumpers. So I, I kind of whispered in his ear, come in here one more time. So <laughs> he just kept coming back. So, you know, respect to Shane, respect to all Australia. Now, Barkley and uh -huh. Shane Heal at midcourt have yeah. to be separated by the official. And Carl Malone in the middle right now. It should say a lot for this country that in the world's greatest game, the NBA, you guys have had seven to ten players that have really contributed. Not just come and make the team a show, but you got Patty Mills, you got Luke Longley, who are the champions, Josh Giddy, you got Ben Simmons, you got this right here. <laughs> so, well, congratulations to all Australia. What was um, Hammer from your perspective? Take us into the team meeting. It's you and Gazy and the boys. We're looking for a first Olympic medal. You're coming up against the Americans. What was the plan to deal with the big boy here? Jeez. What plan can you have, really? I don't know. You know, honestly, but for us, you know, we saw a lot of the other countries. They were getting photos taken, <laughs> autographs, all the rest of it before and after games. And it's just not the Aussie way. We knew that it was going to be difficult to be able to compete with them. But, um, you know, when you grow up and you idolise these guys, you want to go and compete. There's not a lot to lose. And we were lucky enough, we got smashed by these guys in Utah. And then we went to the Olympics and we made the final four and we came closest to the dream team of any other country in the world. And, um, you know, <laughs> we did. It was like... Whatever 40, you say, Shane. It was... 30, 40 points in the end? No, we, we lost by 26. 26. It was about 50 in the first game. Right. And that'll do it. The Dream Team wins again. But the game high score is that fellow Shane Heal. And the final score, the USA 118, Australia 77. But, um, no, I mean, that's what you're doing. And the, the, the gap has decreased since yep. the original Dream Teams because when I started playing, you know, America didn't really respect the rest of the world. There wasn't a lot of players playing outside of America in the NBA, and the game has really changed since then, and it, it changed because of the Dream Team in 92, and guys like Shaq that played in the 94 uh, World Cup, and then 96, and all the rest of it, and, you know, it was never going to be the same as what those guys did, but, um, you know, the, the NBA has certainly changed since, and it's lucky enough to, you know, be part of it and be on the same court as these guys. Well, you boys better hug it out, and we'll leave you go, Shane. Love you, Hammer. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Shane Hill, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for an Australian basketball legend. I love that guy. Love he was him. fierce, huh? He no, was yeah, fierce. He was fierce, yeah, he was fierce. Like, most of the guys are from Australia and other countries, uh, respectively, are come over and play hard. You know, in the top ten, of the NBA now, you got at least three or four guys that are from out of the country. You know, yeah. Luca, Greek Freak, the Joker. So, uh, like you said, the gap has, has, has definitely uh, become closer. Is Ben Simmons going to live up to all the expectations? There seems to be a lot of expectation on the young man's shoulders. You know, it's, it's, it's up to him. You know, he was once heralded as the next LeBron James. So, you know, if he can, you know, have the mental fortitude to just, you know, push past it, uh, he should be a fine player.
You know why they love the hammer? Because we went out and played balls out. Like, he's, like he wasn't a big name in the NBA, but he's, he's, he's world-renowned in Australia. Ben was once looked at as the next LeBron, but then something happened. You know, he doesn't talk a lot, so I can assume that because everybody's talking about his free throw that he's nervous, he's scared, and you know. But I got four of these, so it doesn't matter. So, so, and, and I know what that feels like. I really do. We, we miss and oppose arenas, they're laughing at you, but you know, there's something called mental fortitude. If you want to win a championship, you have to get through that. You think I wasn't nervous stepping up to the line, down by one? I was nervous as hell. But the times that I said, you know what, I'm here at the finals. I can't let my fans down. I can't let little lies down. Just tuck that elbow in and believe. And, you know, I'm famous for saying, when I need to hit them, I will hit them. And every time we made it to the finals, I always hit them. That's why I got four leads. So I, I, I wish him well. But he just has to... I don't know what the term is in Australia, but in America, he just has to suck it up. We've got so much to discuss with you. I'd like to take you all the way back to where it began for you. Can you tell us a little bit, for those that don't know, where you were born and where you grew up? Because you moved around a lot, but where were you born firstly? I don't know where I was born because I was found on the train. <laughs> That's a joke, you can laugh. <laughs> no, I'm born and raised in, in Newark, New Jersey. And my father was a military drill sergeant. And I always tell people we live the karate kid sort of life because we would move every four years. So left New Jersey and, and ended up in Georgia. Left Georgia, ended up in Germany. Left T tell me about that. What was it like as a young man, a young American, to head to Germany with your, your was, father, the sergeant? It, was, it was different because I didn't, I never heard of Germany, never knew what it was. But, you know, the culture was different. The people was different. But what it taught me is that, you know, how to relate and how to respect and how to live with other people. So, you know, I had a great time in Germany. It taught me a lot. After Germany, we moved to Texas. Uh, after Texas, I went to LSU and I became a man at the age of 17. But, you know, growing up from a drill sergeant and, and a mother who, who was a housewife, one thing they told me is just always show respect to people. It doesn't matter their color, where they're from, their religion, just always show respect. So I've always, you know, lived by that creed. And, and again, I came here in 1993 and, Australian people have always been been good to me. And this is my favorite part about Australia. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! I love that. <laughs> you talk about respect. I had the pleasure of speaking to you last night, and I've seen out the back here, and when you walk in, people do anything you want. And I presume that's happened for 30 years of your life. When you walk into a room, people say, Mr. O'Neill, what can we do for you? How quickly we can do it for you? How do you maintain respect for people when the world is at your rather large feet? Well, I, I don't want the world to be at my, my rather large feet. I, what size are those? There's 22. 22. <laughs> I respect you more than I respect myself. Really? What I mean by that is you're a real hard worker. Like you have to get up six, seven, go about your day and work and do this and that. I, I'm not, I don't have to do that. I've never had a job in my life. So I respect the hard working man and woman because that was my mother and father. Uh, you know, even though I'm a celebrity and people, you know, bow down to me, that's not what I want. I'm going to treat you as, as I expect to be treated. I'm going to treat you with honor and respect and I uh, expect the same treatment, but I don't want to be looked at as somebody that's bigger and better. Just because I've done more and 
things and probably have a lot more money, it doesn't make me a better person. So I just try to, you know, I extend my hand and let people know that, hey, I'm not like those idiot celebrities that you see do crazy things. I'm a regular person. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Basketball, Shaq. When does basketball first enter your life? Were you playing in Germany or was it something you picked up when you when you came back? Well, no, I, uh, I started in New Jersey yep. when I was 10. Right. How tall were you at age 10? I have no idea. Tall? Yeah, I was tall. And I can remember this story. You know, my father would teach me this one crazy move and he would always say, don't shoot at the basket, just shoot in the middle of the backboard. So one game I had like 40 points and the score was like 45 to two. And this was only halftime. <laughs> so a father ran on the court and grabbed his son. No way that kid is 10. If this kid is 10, he's gonna be the best basketball player ever. And then my father grabbed me, see, 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 if you listen to me, I'll make you the best big man ever. So all children in here, make sure you listen to your mommy and daddy, because that's the key to success. It really is. I hope my kids are listening at the moment. Listen to your mom and dad, especially Where your dad. Where are your kids at? No, they're not here. They're at home. They're home watching. They're, home. they're not here. You didn't bring your kids? No, I didn't bring my kids. Come on, man. Past their bedtime. Next time. Next time. When you go into your high school career, I love stories of athletes because we look at you and we think you're always fantastic at what you did. But for you, as a young fella at Cole, you didn't necessarily make the first team straight up? I got cut my freshman and sophomore year in Germany and left Germany at the end of my sophomore year. And when I arrived in San Antonio in the junior year, I was the tallest guy in school, so automatically made the team. So when I, when I went there, it was the first time that people were relying on me to get to the promised land. So my father would always say, you gotta be a leader, you gotta be a leader. Never really knew what that meant until you get into the battle with the guys. So, you know, being a leader, you have to have trust. You know, being a leader is all about getting people to follow you because they respect you as opposed to because they have to. So they saw that I was working hard. They saw that I wanted to help the team make the playoffs because our school had never made the playoffs before I got there. School was originated in 1950 and this was 88 and 89. They never made the playoffs. So, you know, that was their goal to just make the playoffs. But my goal was to win the whole thing. So the first year we went 35 and one and then next year we went 36 and 0. Wow. Were you always aiming to be a basketballer and did your parents instill in you the value of education or was it this man's going to play basketball, he'll be okay? My father would always say, you need to have something to fall back on because even now the stats, that the way they are now, they were the same back then. 65% of all professional athletes when they're done have nothing. It's crazy. Zero. Not even one dollar coming in. They never wanted me to be like that. You know, it was kind of... You're gonna make it, you're not gonna make it. It doesn't matter if you make it or don't make it, you're gonna have the education. So, you know, I knew that, uh, well, I, I hoped that I was gonna come into a lot of money. And once I did, I said, you know, I don't wanna be part of that stat because father was a hard worker like you, like most men in here. My mother was a hard worker like most of the women in here. And they didn't have a lot to show for. Like I've never seen my mother dress up, never seen my father put on a suit. Never see him going on dates. Never, never took us to a restaurant to eat as a family. So one day when my, my mother was picking me up from practice, we stopped at a fluent neighborhood and she saw a house, a small house, said for sale, but she just stopped the car and looked. So when I think about wealth, it's not about 
getting a whole bunch of money for myself is being able to purchase anything for my mother. Because when I got uh, drafted, I made her retire, even though she didn't have a job. I made my father retire, I put him on salary, and it was a wonderful thing. So, you know, I do a lot of things and I work hard, but it's only in, in case my mother calls me and she needs something. She doesn't really need a lot, but if she just calls and say I need something, I'm able to I listen to her and my father and I'm able to do it. Discipline with your father. Obviously, he was from an army background, which is traditionally discipline. How important was discipline in your background as a young fella, Shaq? Well, I got beat up. Did you? You can laugh. <laughs> in America, we call this spanking. From your father? I was, uh, yeah. I was, uh, I was a high-level juvenile delinquent. Right. You know, and he would always say, be a leader, be a leader, but I was a follower. And I used to do crazy things. And the last incident that uh, changed my life was uh, 16, 17. A couple of the fellows were drinking. I was drinking too, beer. Mm -hmm. And they decided to drive in Germany during a winter storm. And something told me not to get in the car. I did get in the car and everybody in the car passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so after that, I was like, you know what? I have to be a leader. I can't, you know, just follow guys because I'm trying to be cool. So when you get drafted and you start your NBA career, which obviously started exceedingly well. Right here. Everyone on their feet as Shaquille O'Neal gives it a go as a pro for the first time tonight. What was it like as a young man coming into such a competitive environment? I wasn't worried about that at first. I was worried about fulfilling my parents' dreams. They always wanted a house. They always wanted a separate car. They always wanted clothes. They always wanted to fly first class. So I always tell the story that's a true story. My agent calls me and said, hey, I have a million dollar car deal for you. Let's do it. So I get the check. I don't know about how the taxes are over here, but I wasn't really financially educated at this point, but I had to do it. So the first thing is I bought myself a Mercedes, 150. So if you do simple math, 150 minus a million, I still have 850 left. Mm. So when I pull up home, my, my father said, man, that's nice, where's mine at? So I got him the exact same identical car. I got my mother a car and to get some suits and jewelry. So a couple of days later, the bank manager called me and he showed me the, the, the thing and it was 300000 taken by a guy named FICA. <laughs> so I'm, I'm upset. I'm like, who the hell is FICA? I didn't know anything about sales tax, state tax, any of that. So, But the fact that I could just take care of my family right away, that was what I was focused on then. And then I moved from San Antonio, uh, bought him a house, bought myself a house. But what's it like finding your mother? It's, it's, it's beautiful, especially when you could just... A house that, you know... Was it a big house? Yeah, it was a big house. Okay, of course. A, a, house that, a house that she could only dream of having. What did she say? She cried. Did she? Like, I've never seen somebody from key to hand and the tears come out right away. That's great. Because I tricked her. I was like, you know, let's go look for houses. So we went and saw this house. I said, you like this house? It's yours. And then just the tears started. I was like, relax. Oh, we can't afford it. I said, I already paid for it, lady. <laughs> just relax and you know, just, just, just have fun. So that was the first thing I had to focus on. Back to Shaq in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games. And this is really, really exciting. A gentleman by the name of Andrew Johns. 
one of the few rugby league immortals, one of the biggest names to ever play the game, a star. And the man they call Joey, the Howie Games, is the first podcast he has ever recorded. A man who has been asked to do a lot of podcasts, he's just told me, and this is his podcast debut, so I really appreciate it. Andrew Johns, welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Cheers, mate. I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. You've been asked to do a few of these before. Hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. Hundreds. So I am very fortunate and I appreciate that. Um, Why the reluctance to this point, mate? I don't know. I have no idea. It's like there's only there's only probably so many great interviewers, especially in this country. You know, you talk about Ray Martin and Andrew Denton and these guys. Seems like everyone's got a podcast these days. Well, I hate to let you down, but I'm not one of the great interviewers, but I'm going to do my best shot. Let's see how we go. Joey Johns has a phenomenal story to tell. Do not miss it. It is next up on the Howie Games. Let's get back to Shaq. Your first day of training when you went to the NBA as the number one draft pick, what was your first day like? And what expectations were heaped upon you as the number one? Well, when you're a gangster like I am... Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to make your mark. Yeah. So Scott Skiles, he said, carry my bags, rookie. And I said, I'm not a rookie, I'm a franchise. Day one. Day one. So you carry my bags. Right. So you weren't lacking confidence. Yeah. I said no. You. I said no. I'm just. I'm. I'm about to take all this over, because they would always say, "Be a leader, and it's your team." So if it's a leader, it's my team. I have to take over, and I have to make these guys follow me because they want to, as opposed to because they have to. So I just came in. I just work hard. I just wanted to take over. So all these guys that were ahead of me, Jordan, Barkley, Ewan, I would let them know that I'm coming to f- kill you. The next part was going to be easy because of my formula. So growing up, I watched a lot of karate movies. Right. Yes, and basically in the karate movies, at some point, the young student must kill the master to become the master. Of course. So in high school, I was the man. But when I went to college, I'm just one of the guys. So I had to kill everybody till I became the number one pick. So I was gonna have the same approach in the NBA. It doesn't matter who I'm playing against. So, you know, the first year, you know, you you figure the guys out and you get beat up a little bit. But then the second year, they knew I was coming. And then the third year, then the fourth. And by like the fourth year, when we made it to the finals, when I got traded uh, traded to L.A., the whole world knew they were in trouble, especially uh, uh, in the Olympics versus Australia. Yes, we saw that. We don't need to see that again. (laughs) How was it coming up against Mike? I I don't know how you viewed Mike before you stepped into the league. Mike is the greatest player ever. Yes. And I was actually... I was actually scared. Not, not scared, he just like 700 days before that, I'm watching this guy on TV. Yeah. So how do you transition to playing him on the court? Man, like once you get the butterflies out, it's just different. But like he came down and did a move so beautiful, I was like, oh my God, this guy's the best ever. <laughs> so the second time he came, I did the move. He shot, I tried to block a shot. I was real close to blocking the shot. Now I said to myself, oh, you're human. <laughs> I thought you were a god, but you're human. So once I, once I calmed down, 
you know, I, I take and I win a lot of money in bets. I ask people, who was the last person to beat Michael Jordan in the playoff situation? Nobody, nobody. It was me in 94, 95, Orlando Magic versus the Bulls. So. Yeah. It's all over and the Bulls' season comes to an end. Here at the United Center and the Orlando Magic gets the victory with 14 straight points. So you go to LA, the, the city of dreams. People generally think you go there, there's Kobe, you have immediate success, but that wasn't the case. Well, we had success, we just couldn't win a championship. Yeah. We, we, one year we won 67 games. What, what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was your deal financially to go to LA? I think it was 120 for seven. 120 million for seven. Yeah. What's it like when that money just goes into the account? I don't know, I never check. You never check? <laughs> no. I'd be checking if 120 went into no, my account. I, I, I never check, because you know what, it's, the money's good, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't my, that wasn't my sole purpose. No. My sole purpose was when you, when you walk in these arenas and you look up and you see those jerseys, I want, to be, I want to be one of those jerseys that's, that's hanging up one day. And what did you think when you first saw Kobe on court as a young man? Well, he was, he, he was an 18-year-old. He, was, he wasn't really that good. Was he not? No, he, he was good, but like he, he came off the bench. He really didn't play a lot. He was just super anxious. Like He wanted to be great at 18, and we tried to slow him down. And you know, A couple of coaches, you know, they would go back and forth, and the owner would say, put him in, put him in. But... He's a guy that, similar to myself, if you tell him he can't do something, he's gonna go on the lab and practice it. Like we used to tell him all the time, you can't take that shot because you're not gonna make it. So he was just practice and practice and practice and over practice. But I can remember signing, my agent calls me, what you know about Magic City? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so my agent calls and says, you gotta get up here now. So, cause I was still, you know, with the Orlando Magic just going back and forth. And I had told them, I said, I want 150. Don't call me until you get 150 or close to 150. So 150 million. Yeah, 150 million. Cool. Sorry. So, so, so we were going back and forth. It was about 2 a.m. I get the call, and my guy said, "You got to come over here." So I get over there, and when he pulled the piece of paper out, I've never seen so many zeros in my life. Wow. He said, "I got some good news. I got some bad news." I said, "What's the bad news?" He said, "I can't get you 150, but I can get you 120." And when he opened that Manila photo, I was like, "So I signed." And like right when I was signing, he just stopped my hand. Man, I just acquired this kid, 18 year older. We just got him from Charlotte. His name is Kobe Bryant. And the great Jerry West said, you and him are gonna win multiple championships. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Jerry, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> your, your athletic prowess, we've got some vision here for people that don't understand the power you brought to the court where you're basically breaking backboards and rims. Follows it almost and does bring down the entire backboard. That's one we haven't seen. Your physical abilities on the court, you're obviously naturally gifted. How much did you have to work to bring this power to the table? Like, you have a look at some of this vision here. I like that one. My next one, the next one is my own personal favourite when the whole thing actually... Check this one out. Neil puts it on the floor. And stops and he brought it down! He brought the whole goal down! Goodness. He brought the whole thing down. Well, it broke off right on the, on the fence there, on the hinge there. Unbelievable. Like, seriously. How much work did you have to do physically? 
All right, Added I'm, to your natural gifts. I used to drink KUS before the game. KUS? Kangaroo urine shots. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. We've been together for 48 hours. That's the first time you've rolled that one out. Yeah. It's a sharp one. I like yeah, that like, one. No. no, I just, I wanted to have, have people fear me. You know, like, a lot of people go for certain titles, the best ever, the greatest, this great, that. I wanted to be the most feared guy in the NBA. And I realized that with my strength and my power, if I ripped a couple of backboards down, that the opponents would never want to play me. And then, you know, just like I told Shane, like, if you come in, I'm going to bow you in your face. I used to bow guys in our face. I used to take pride in knocking people's teeth out. Uh-oh. Oh, there's a swing by O'Neill. And they got a blue on the field. Yes, I did. I'm not going to mess with you because you're fucking gorgeous. Just a good-looking dude. Um, you're very kind. I couldn't stop looking at you this morning. Yeah. I was like, I was just nah. saying to myself, that come from a left down I'm about to, I'm about to re- reveal a secret. A secret? All right, we'll make sure you're on you. Go. I used to eat Frosted Flakes before every game. Frosty Flakes before every game. How much, how many Frosty Flakes? One bowl. Only one, a big bowl? Big bowl. Big bowl. So when I dunked, Yeah. Because, you know, basketball is 85% mental, 15% skill. Okay. I wanted to have people think I was the strongest guy in the world. Well, you look like the strongest guy. Yeah, I I am. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So when I dunked, I actually tried to rip it down. Right. Yeah, because, you know, if you're under there and if you go up and I go up with that ferocity and that strength, strength like this, and then I do this, psychologically, you're never going to try to block my shot. So you're playing at seven foot two, you're playing at nearly 150 kilos. How many bowls of Frosty Flakes am I requiring to sort of get to your physical size, do you think? Take about 30 bowls for you. 30 bowls a day? A day. And I've got you covered. So you get there with Kobe, you work hard. What is the first championship to you, to your mum, your dad and your family? When you're a superstar and you don't play up to everyone's expectations, criticism comes. Does it? Yeah, it comes. Hold that thought then. How do you deal with criticism? I, I can stop time and see if there's any truth in criticism. Okay. You're a professional man. I respect you. So if you criticize me before I beat you up, <laughs> I'm going to stop and say, okay, he's correct. And I just go back and work on it. I'm not criticizing. See, when you, when, you, when you grow up being raised by a drill sergeant, you're not allowed to be sensitive. My father was like this, and it was, it was the perfect raising, you know, the perfect upbringing. He was like this, like this, like this. I couldn't make a face, I couldn't react. But what it was teaching me is you gotta be mentally tough because, you know, this stuff happens. Like, you're just not gonna be able to play basketball. And if you're not winning, everybody's not gonna like you because you people, you pay a lot of money to see a game. So, so when you pay your money, you want to see people perform. And if it's in championship rounds and the guy that you're paying for doesn't win the championship, you have the right to be upset. So when uh, I would get criticized all the time, it just just got me more angry. It just got to the point to where I said, you know what, I'm tired of failing. Now it's time for us to get this done. And when you bring in a guy like Phil Jackson, who has a great resume, with that you know, enabled my, my troops to do is not panic. Because I always say if the general doesn't panic, then the troops will not panic. You know, all the other coaches we had, you know, down by one, a couple of seconds left, they just, they didn't know what to do. But Phil, Phil, Phil didn't panic? No, Phil would say, relax, 
go to your, you know, your, your happy place. We're going to win this game. After this game, we're going to celebrate. We're going to take Tuesday, two days off. We're going to go for the finals, and we're going to win a championship. So once you, you have your leader say things like that, and the followers believe it, and then, you know, we were able to win, you know, not, not one, not two, but three championships. will make it a second straight NBA crown. The Los Angeles Lakers have made it three straight NBA championships. That is the end of Shaquille O'Neal Part A. Don't worry, so much more coming in Part B. See you there, rock stars.